It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. One of the things that we really enjoy doing is getting direct feedback from the people that we talk to online, whether that's people on our newsletter list or our social media platforms or just friends in general. Sometimes we get we get texts from family members and friends weighing in on the podcast here or the content we're putting out. So one of the things we love to do in getting this feedback is we feel like it gives us a deeper insight into what's going on inside people's minds and hearts and allows us to perhaps craft content that speaks to some of your concerns, dear listener, some of the things you're wrestling with, some of your hopes and dreams, some of your resistances and challenges. And recently, we put out a a very, very simple one-question survey to our mailing list. If you, dear listener, want to be on our mailing list, we put out one a week on Fridays, which compiles the blog posts that we do, the podcast episodes from the previous week, and any kind of products or discoveries or things that we're excited about that we'd love to share with you. So if you want to do that and you haven't signed up for our newsletter yet, you can go to our website, which is wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And just give us... And what do they get as a gift for joining? What is the opt-in right now? Because we keep changing the opt-in. Is it the UR enough or did we change it to a different opt-in? We have... You can have all of our opt-ins if you go to the free resource <laughs> section of our website. If you go to the free resource section of our website, they are all available there for you. And you can choose whichever you'd like or you can download all of them. Well, then you get the whole you get the whole smorgasbord then. You get the whole kit and caboodle. That's a, that's a phrase I haven't used in a while. You get the whole kit and caboodle. I have no idea what that even means. I feel like I need to do a search engine search for what kit and caboodle means. Been using it for 40 years. Still don't know what it means. But I regress or progress, depending on how you look at it. One of the things that popped out to myself and Whitney when we were reviewing some of the responses to this one question survey on our newsletter was this topic of resistance. Resistance is something we've talked about in previous episodes, specifically referring to one of our favorite authors and books, Stephen Pressfield and his seminal work, The War of Art. But it's always interesting when people talk about what their resistances are in life. And one of the responses we got to just kind of summarize was about this balance of feeling way too focused on future goals and dreams and shoulds and rejecting what's in the present moment or perhaps not really being present into what's happening in the moment and feeling too future focused or the idea of success. And this is something that that still resonates with me because it feels like this is something I struggle with every day. I feel like this is a common thing, wanting to make sure we are investing in the possibility. Of course, there's no guarantee of a future outcome, but the idea that what we're investing in, whether that's our education or our personal growth, our self-care, or actually investing. That's a huge thing. That is a really fascinating topic at the time that we're recording this podcast of what's happening with Wall Street and the investment market. But I think this is a difficult balance, Whitney, because we have had this idea of presence, not only from more contemporary spiritual teachers, like in this survey, she mentioned Eckhart Tolle. You think about people like Deepak Chopra. There's a ton of different current, I suppose, modern spiritual teachers. But the idea of presence, the idea of being connected to the present moment is something that you can go back to the Bhagavad Gita or the Upanishads or you know ancient Hindu texts or certain Eastern religions. And 
you know, it's tough, right? Because I think for as many versions of the mantra of live in the moment and the only thing we have is right now, I think we're wired as human beings to project possibilities of future challenges or future threats. And we want to make ourselves feel safe. Do we have enough money? Are we going to have shelter? Is there food on the table? Are my children and my family going to be safe and healthy? And so this is a constant challenge that even I find with meditation and trying to be present that I'm still very much worried and fearful about future threats that don't even exist yet. You know, it's a very difficult thing. So I'm glad whoever this person was that responded to this survey, we're not going to call people out by name, but reminding us of the difficulty and the challenge of being focused on the present moment, but also being worried about future goals and what might happen and trying to protect ourselves and be prepared for it. So I don't know. This is something I struggle with day to day. I don't know what to do about it. It seems like no amount of meditation or mantras or anything that I do is helping me to stop worrying about the future. And maybe instead of like me worrying about worrying about the future, maybe I should just be okay with it, that I'm going to be worried about the future. And that's something that's just hardwired into our neurochemistry. And fuck it. It's okay to worry. Maybe it's not the worrying. Maybe it's the beating ourselves up for worrying. You know, that's something that I'm present to right now. Instead of, oh, I'm worried about some future outcome. And that's okay because I'm neurologically wired to do that. Maybe I should just be okay with that and not make myself feel bad for doing it. Maybe that's the actual issue instead of the worrying. It's the beating myself up for the worrying. That just came up in real time. That's fascinating to look at. Well, if you feel comfortable sharing this, I, I know that you had felt like you were struggling yesterday. And I imagine that some of what you're expressing right now might be connected to that experience you were having. Is that something that you want to explore on the show today? Yeah. I had a panic attack last night before bed. It was really, really fucking awful. My heart rate was going up. I was having difficulty breathing. I felt flushed. I felt hot and I had difficulty sleeping. And I've had, I don't know about a history of panic attacks, but one that comes up in my mind was at Expo West when you and I were there, Whitney, in 2017. And we were we were going after one of the show floor days had closed. We were going to, I think it was the Plant-Based Food Association had a meetup after one of the first two days. And I all of a sudden just felt this same sensations, my heart rate going up, my skin feeling flushed, feeling like I was wanting to crawl out of my skin. My breath was getting shorter and I, I had to leave the room. I remember that's the one that I had in most recent memory that felt like what was happening last night was like I had to get out of there. And I remember going out onto one of the outdoor patios to get fresh air. And I had to sit there for about 10 or 15 minutes to calm myself down before I could go back in the room. This was different in the sense that what I was experiencing last night was not necessarily triggered by a room full of people. I think with that experience, the last panic attack I had was maybe by just being overwhelmed by all of the energy and feeling depleted and feeling like I had to keep giving even more energy, you know, because those show floor days are exhausting sometimes of walking around, you know, you and I literally walking. I mean, I remember sometimes you would you would do your step counter and it'd be like, wow, we walked that many miles in one day. And then the idea of going and needing to have some sort of meaningful, positive interaction with a room full of, you know, 150, 200 people just felt overwhelming. And I think at that time, it was very much triggered by this idea that I had to put on a happy face and I had to somehow muster this energy to interact with all these people when all I wanted to do was rest. This was different last night in the sense that I feel like the panic attack I had last evening was brought on by this, this idea that I'm not doing life right, that I'm missing out on things, 
that all of these people are making all of this money right now with all the crazy shit that's going on at this moment, the time we're recording this episode with the stuff that's happening on Reddit and Wall Street bets and people, you know, I read the story about this one guy in Missouri who works at an auto part store who put like $4,500 into this GameStop rally that's been happening. And now he has over a million dollars. And I'm like, why didn't I do that? I'm a fucking idiot. I'm so stupid, you know, and, and just beating myself up and feeling like there's all these people that are doing so well right now and they're just crushing it, and that I'm just stuck in my life, and I'm running out of patience, and I feel like I need to do something because I can't stay stuck in the place that I am. Mentally, I can't stay stuck at the place I am financially, and I'm feeling like an increasing sense of desperation to do something, but I don't know what that something is. you know. And It's sort of like the more that I research about these kind of things, the more lost I feel because you you go on the internet, you do this research and you see 10 different articles with 10 different viewpoints of, yeah, you should invest. No, you shouldn't invest. This rally's not going to last forever. People are going to lose their ass. Don't pay attention to the auto parts worker who made a million dollars because that's not you and you're probably going to lose and the SEC is going to step in. And basically, Whitney, I went down this research rabbit hole that left me feeling more panicked than empowered is what happened. You know, at the end of the night, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I shouldn't take my life savings and put it in there because I could lose it all and then I'll feel even worse about myself. But what if I'm missing out on this golden opportunity where people are making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars? Am I just scared? Am I giving into fear? You know, and, and I'm just spiraling of like, am I just really chicken shit? Should I do this and just have the balls to do it and not care about what happens? So basically, it's like I'm trying to learn more about the financial system and what I should do because I feel stuck and I'm, I'm losing patience with myself. But it's, it's the fear of losing this opportunity versus the fear of losing all my money. And so basically, this panic attack was like last night feeling like I'm missing out on the opportunity to make money, but I'm also giving into the fear of losing because I have this money set aside. It's, it feels like the same episode we recorded a few ago, and I don't want this to become the same episode, but essentially my panic attack last night was feeling caught between too much information that seems to be conflicting each other and then feeling like people are like, YOLO, I'm going to put like $30,000 of my life savings in and fuck it. Let's just see what happens. And like, is that stupid? Is that ballsy? Is that courageous? What is it? And I don't know. I just feel, I feel like me not doing anything might be worse than not doing, than doing something, but I don't know what that something should be. And I just feel like I'm missing out on the opportunity to like grow my wealth right now when all these other people are doing it. And maybe I just don't have the balls. I don't know. And then it spirals into beating myself up for not doing anything. Anyway, that's really what kind of brought on the panic attack last night. And there was just a hummingbird outside my window, which is really beautiful. That was a nice break in my... I don't know that I have a point here, Whitney. You asked what brought on the panic attack. So that's what I think it was. Well, I I personally think that the risk in losing a lot of money could be incredibly mentally challenging and might even be worse than staying still because that's that's an intense emotion, especially if you went into it really thinking you were going to get something, which is probably the only reason that you would actually do it. I mean, I think some people literally don't care. It's like going to the casino and they have money that they're willing to part with. I remember my grandfather would always phrase it like this. Was that like, you know, you're playing like a video game. You're probably not going to get that money back. And it's just fun. So if you go in with that mentality and you happen to come away with some money, great. I've been watching a lot of videos on TikTok about this because people have been sharing all different opinions. But mostly, 
People are saying that it's literally gambling. In many cases, especially right now, there's like a 50-50 chance that you're going to make money versus lose money. So you have to be okay with that risk. It's like a coin flip. And if you are okay with it resulting on either end of the spectrum, great. Other people have said that using tactics like this right now are is not really an investment. It's like more equivalent to gambling. Like the whole point of an investment is putting money in for a long period of time. And, you know, I don't even fully know, like, when do you take money out? Like, I guess the most of the concept of investments is not taking money out. It's just going there and, and making money. And, you know, it's still kind of a mystery to me. I think, Jason, for you and for anyone else listening who's feeling equally confused and frustrated is like, what if you invest your money into a financial advisor and they help you make the right decisions? That way, it's less of a gamble and you're actually doing something useful. So you're growing your knowledge about something and then you can make smarter choices as time goes on. Yeah, I think the real rub is that there's like three conflicting motivations in my life right now. One is to pay down all of my debt. Two is to make sure that my credit score is high enough by paying off my debt to qualify for a mortgage. But if I take that money that I have set aside for a down payment and use it to pay off the debt, then I won't have the down payment to qualify for the mortgage, even though my credit score will be higher by using that money to pay off the debt. It's a catch-22. And then the third aspect is I do want to leverage the cash that I have because the cash isn't growing. There's no compound interest being formed. This cash isn't doing anything. And yet I want to invest it into tangible assets, right? Like this whole, to your point, the whole short squeeze that's happening with GameStop at the time of this recording and sort of the, you know, individual investors, you know, a lot of them are motivated because they want to stick it to the hedge fund billionaires and be like, fuck you, we, we're taking the power back, which I agree with, right? I don't know that it's going to work long term, but as an opportunity for individual citizens to use the same manipulation tactics that these institutions are, and then the institutions crying about it to the SEC and the government, it's like, you've been doing this same shit for years, but now that people are doing it, you're going to go cry about it. That's a whole nother subject. But my point is, I'm sort of caught between three conflicting motivations, right? pay down all my debt, increase my credit score, have the money set aside to get a mortgage, and then actually invest in long-term tangible assets that will grow my wealth, right? But it's like, to your point, Whitney, maybe I do need to find someone that I know, like, and trust to talk to about this because I feel like the more that I just dig into articles and the TikTok videos you mentioned and the Reddit posts, the more lost I feel because it's 25 different perspectives on the same subject. And who do you know and trust if it's just random people writing about it and making videos? So my challenge is, the more that I have kind of this nest egg of cash set aside that I don't know what to do with and how to leverage it with these three seemingly conflicting aims is finding somebody that I can know, like, and trust to advise me. But how do you even do that? I mean, it's sort of like, I don't even know any financial advisors. And so, you know, that's another subject is, you know, maybe I need to get new people in my life that more know more about this than I do, because it feels like I don't really know who to ask about it, you know, and then to go on the internet and just Google, like, financial advisor in Los Angeles. Like, how do you find someone? I don't know. Ask around, like use Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, ask for recommendations. That's always a great place to start. And also remember that we had that amazing session at Capital One a few years ago. You could probably still get in touch with the woman that we had those sessions with and she could support you with this too. I think a lot of the answers are are generally a lot are easier to find by crowdsourcing through your current network. She was what was her name Joanne? I'm trying to remember her name. I still have all of her material. She was phenomenal. I sh- you're right to your point. That's a good idea of of emailing her. 
because she was so wonderful. I mean, she helped me pay down a ton of debt that year that we were working with her. So, and I remember her story too, Whitney was amazing. She was something like 250000 or $300,000 in debt and she paid it all off. It was some phenomenal story. So to your point, I think, yeah, leveraging someone who's already in our network is probably a smart idea. Because I just, again, you know, trying to research this and discern sagacious advice over reactionary advice seems to be difficult on my own. So having someone, that's a really good idea. Actually, after we wrap our podcast today, I'm going to email her and just touch base and say, hey, could you recommend anyone? Like, are you doing this? Could you recommend anyone? Because I loved her. You know, it's speaking of knowing, liking, and trusting. I loved her energy. She reminded me a lot of like a hybrid between, I don't know, kind of like my mom, but more like my Aunt Mary Lou. I don't know. She just had like a really, <laughs> I just remember her energy being phenomenal. When you introduced me to her, I just remember connecting with her immediately. And I guess that's the kind of thing when we're bringing new people, Joanne, it was Joanne. Yeah. She was phenomenal. And I just think like that, that's the thing is, is, you know, when we talk about creating relationships, this is kind of an interesting jump off point. You know, there's this decision, Whitney, of like when we're vetting people, to go with maybe the person who has like the better resume or the better track record or you know they've scaled this business or they've 10x these people or they they've turned six figure businesses into seven figure businesses we see a lot of this on clubhouse that we've talked about and i think to me it's really about the energy and how you connect with a person you know it's really about the relationships right is that someone might not have as flashy of a resume per se or a lot of things on on their list of career accomplishments that aren't as grandiose or stellar as another person but i think for me at least it's about how my energy connects with that person and that i want to feel good about who i'm doing business with and who i'm co-creating projects with rather than going after someone who has better accolades but i don't connect with as well you know what I mean? Not chasing like the accolades or like this person can make this thing happen. And I think maybe that that's also kind of what's going on right now with the ups and downs of the stock market. It seems that there's people who are playing the long game, to paraphrase something we talk about with social media and brand building. There's people that are looking, you know, 20, 30, 40 years in the future versus people who kind of want to get rich quick. And I'm being mindful of not falling into the latter category of thinking that if I just take, you know, $15,000 and dump it into GameStop or Bed Bath & Beyond or AMC Theaters and try and ride this rally that's happening that I'm automatically going to win because there's some part of me that there's some part of me that thinks I will psychologically feel better about myself if I have a big win like that. Right? If I get into the psychology of it, like why would I take $15,000 of my money and dump it into one of these short squeeze rallying stocks? It's because if I win and I make $200,000 on a $15,000 investment, I'll feel better about myself. Oh, Jason, you did a good job. You had the balls to put it in. You took a risk. You weren't a fucking wimp. You had the courage to do it and you YOLO'd it, right? Good job, bro. But to your point, if I fuck up and lose that 15 grand, I'll feel even worse about myself. So it's like, it's this conflict of the fear of feeling worse about losing 15K versus the idea that I'll feel better about myself for making 200 G's on a 15K investment. Like, what do I want more? Do I want the potential like, I fucking did it versus, oh, I really fucked up and what am I going to do now? That's really what it is. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the numbers in the bank account. It's what they represent, right? Like 15K in the bank versus 200K. How would I feel? Well, I yeah, I'd feel a lot better about myself. Why? Because I'd feel like I'd have more freedom. I'd have more option to reinvest the money. I'd pay down my debt. 
I'd be able to leverage it, right? It's the only reason is because I think I'd feel better about myself at the core of it, really, right? Do would I feel better about myself? Of course I would. Having 200K in the bank or like this guy I told you about in Missouri who, you know, took a $5,000 investment and now is worth over a million dollars. Well, yeah, of course. You know, I read an article. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to put in my two-week notice. It's like, you think you're going to put in your two-week? Of course, you're going to put in your two-week notice. It's like, the only reason we want to be rich is because we think we're going to feel better about ourselves. Not the only reason, but if we're honest about it, that's pretty much one of the core reasons, right? Of course, I'm going to have more self-esteem if I'm worth a million dollars than 15,000. Like, duh, that's basic human psychology. You know, but the question is, is like, and this is something that I've worked on with my mentor, Michael, over the years, you know, can I have the same level of self-esteem and feel okay about where I'm at when I have $500 in the bank versus 500K, right? Because then I'm making my self-esteem and my sense of self-worth dependent on the numbers in my bank account, right? It's not to say that, look, having 500K in the bank, of course, it's going to feel better than having $500. Like, I'm not disputing that, but it's this, it's this pattern of like, attaching our sense of self and our value and worth to numbers, which we've talked about previously. The size of our waist, the numbers in our bank account, the number of followers, and it's easier said than done. I mean, this is a difficult process to, I think, detangle ourselves from arbitrary units of worth. And I think that's what I'm falling into, Whitney, if I'm honest about it. It's again, the idea that I'm going to feel better about myself and have more self-esteem and feel like I've, quote, won the game if I were to put in this money into the stock market and have a big win. Right, I would feel better about who I am because the reality is I don't feel very good about myself right now. Just to be blunt, I don't feel good about where I'm at in my career. I don't feel good about where I'm at in terms of my creative projects. And so maybe like this desire to put this money in is like sort of like the desperate gambler who goes to Vegas or Atlantic City and who's like down on his or her luck and just like I just need that one big win. And maybe in a certain way that's where where I'm at right now. I just need like a win in my life because I don't feel like I'm winning at life right now. I kind of feel like shit about myself. And so maybe this desire is fueled by like, I just want to feel better about who I am. And maybe more money would help me do that. Even though I know that that's foolish because money comes and goes. And if I'm attaching my sense of who I am and how good I feel about myself, then that's an arbitrary fluctuating measurement that goes up and goes down. So that's probably why I shouldn't do this because it's a dangerous thing because I have my my sense of self attached too much to it. Well, thanks for that therapy session. I feel like I just worked it out in real time. I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of social media. You know, I, I've noticed like I have these moments where I want to get that hit that social media offers. And it's like, I'll go and I'll check my numbers to get that hit. And for some reason, I've been like extra aware of that recently. Even just talking about it, I'm like, ooh, I wonder like, what would happen if I opened up any social media platform right now? What would I see? And even if it's like one new follower or more views on something or whatever, it's like, it feels so good, you know? And I find myself like grabbing my phone and just looking for that quick little burst of feel good energy. But then when I step away to look at it, it also feels really empty. And, and one thing I've been reflecting a lot on is just how I've been just doing a lot of things recently. And I was starting to reflect on like, why am I doing so much, you know? And then also like when I feel tired, I somehow feel really surprised at how tired I am. Like today I'm really tired. And it's like, of course I'm tired. I'm, my brain is constantly moving so much. So as I've talked about in some episodes, like I haven't really slept that well at all this month because I'm literally thinking about 
TikTok and Clubhouse and on and on all these different things and my clients and like my brain is constantly going. And so of course we're going to feel burnt out. And then I'll have these moments stepping back from it and wondering what it would be like to be less attached to all of that. And also I'll have these moments, Jason, where I'll turn it on looking for that hit, but the opposite will happen where it won't be what I wanted it to be. There won't be new followers on Clubhouse. There won't be new followers or views or likes or comments on TikTok. And I'll just sit there for a moment thinking like, man, this isn't going so well. And we've talked about how Clubhouse, I think, Clubhouse is kind of like a gamble in a lot of ways because not necessarily in terms of where it's going to go, because I feel like Clubhouse is going in in positive directions for the most part. But right now, it's just such... It feels very equivalent to like what's happening in the stock market, like a money grab. It's like everybody's trying to get on there to prove themselves and to get something. You know, I've had just like really fascinating experiences on there. Oh my gosh, I share a couple of them. One, I went into this like women-based group and I'm trying to like put in my head, like exactly what it was, because it was about a week ago. And we moved the conversation over to Instagram. And next thing I know, one of them is like pitching me to join her mastermind. And I was like, what? I barely know you. Why are you pitching me to join your mastermind? I don't need your mastermind. Like I didn't ask for it. I, You know what I mean? It was like so off-putting. And now I'm not as interested in her because I didn't want to be pitched on that. I'm on Clubhouse right now to connect with people and have meaningful relationships, not to be pitched on shit. But people are doing that so much in Clubhouse. Also yesterday, something that left me with a bad taste that I'm still reflecting on is a creator of this really neat social media tool hit me up after I think a clubhouse room that I was doing on social media, he came and joined and he was adding some great value. I really liked his vibe. And I think he reached out to me on Instagram and said he wanted to like have a conversation as I've been doing a lot of as a result of clubhouse, which has made it really cool for me. I've met a lot of incredible people through that platform. Most of them want to get on a call and talk about partnerships and you know how we can support one another. And so great, get on a call with him yesterday. And he immediately starts pitching me his product And I paused him at the beginning. I said, hey, just so I'm clear, like, what are you wanting out of this conversation? And he gave me a really vague answer and then pitched his product and then like wrapped up the meeting in half the time that we had had scheduled and was like, all right, great. Thanks so much. You know, and he just kind of jumped off really quickly. And he actually has an awesome product, but I can't really use it in the fullness of what I I'm capable of because right now I have this weird feeling that like he just came into my clubhouse room to sell me on something and scheduled a meeting to sell me on something. And now I I like don't really want anything to do with him because it's just like feels shady to me, you know, and then the amount of people that are on that platform bragging about money and fame. You know, I was in another room last night. I mean, I've been in so many. I was in a random one. And it's just like people just up there trying to validate themselves through like their numbers or the people they know or whatever else. And I'm just sitting there thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we all like trying to impress each other? Why are we trying to to like get people to validate us so frequently, you know? And I can relate because I get validation from that stuff too. I might not verbalize it in the same way they do, but I completely understand. Like we've been trained to validate ourselves through all of these metrics of success. 
And I see it all the time and I'm just becoming so tuned into it. Like I see it with all the different ways that people talk poorly about themselves. It's often about money or weight or followers. It's just like the follower thing too. I've also been feeling so incredibly sensitive to that recently as I've been working with a lot of different small businesses or brands or creators. Those are the people that tend to hire me. And some of them are just absolutely obsessed with the numbers. It's like, you know, one of my clients is like, I want to get X amount of followers by this time. And I'm like, why? You literally don't need them. Like they don't serve you whatsoever for this specific person that I'm working with. Like it does this person no good. It's not like they're trying to be an influencer, which I can see why numbers would feel important to an influencer because it's a huge part of the industry. But this person's not an influencer. This person's a different type of content creator and business owner, but still has it in their head that they need to have numbers to prove themselves. People get embarrassed about their numbers on social media. And it's like, you know, that's the type of person I'm like, listen, if you're embarrassed about your numbers on social media, you either have to get over it or you buy them. Like if that's, if they're, if they mean that much to you to have this vanity metric, buy them. Because their followers are doing you no good if they're just a number. So you might as well purchase them if they're that important to you, right? But it's like, that's only making you feel good. Just like when you're talking about all of this, Jason, it's like, if that makes you feel good and it doesn't harm other people, then maybe sometimes we do superficial things. But then ultimately, we recognize that those superficial things don't really make us feel any better. And I think that's that's what I'm starting to recognize in my work is just this world is so saturated with that. Another instance, the last example I'll give is actually somebody that you and I both know, Jason, invited me to like a panel about social media. I was talking about like other people they were going to have on it. And I said, all right, cool. But just so you know, like I really encourage you not, I really encourage you to vet people because the information that some people share about social media can be really dangerous in the sense that a lot of people use anecdotal evidence to talk about results. And anecdotal evidence can vary so much, just like the stock market, Jason. Like, no wonder you feel confused. Some people get great results through the stock market. Some people don't. If you're only hearing from people that are doing extraordinarily well, you're going to be convinced that that'll happen to you too. It's just like weight loss. Like you see, like I, I'm not a fan of of all these like testimonials and before and after photos because I'm like, listen, those have plagued me my whole life. I have not had the same results as those people, but I have felt less than because I've been comparing myself to other people who are different bodies and do different things and different on and on and on. Same thing with social media. To tell somebody that they can get on TikTok and blow up overnight because somebody else did is not fair because... TikTok doesn't work for everybody that way. But if one person has had that experience, they think the same thing for themselves, you know? And I think that's a huge part of the world that we're in with money, with body, with social media, on and on. You get people, as we, you and I have talked about, that have had certain results and they like to sell other people on those results when they can't guarantee anything. And I I think that causes a lot of issues in the comparison trap. And many of us end up living in this world of feeling not good enough and constantly feeling like we should be doing something different because clearly what we're doing is not working, but we we see it working for other people. So we believe that it's going to work for us too if we just push ourselves farther. Yeah, this is, it's a difficult thing. And I think also practicing self-awareness and asking really good questions of oneself is so critical with all this, Whitney. You know, 
whether we're talking about the three examples we've been discussing, whether that's a certain body shape or how we look, whether that's our social media followers and social proof, or it's the amount of wealth that we're generating or not generating is, I mean, on the other side of all this, right? If we take the idea of, I want to lose 20 pounds and get ready for a swimsuit season. I want to get 10,000 followers so that I can get a book deal and then get a New York Times bestseller. Or I can put, you know, 5K into a short rally and make a million dollars. I mean, the whole reason why someone would want to lose 20 pounds and look good in a swimsuit or get a certain number of followers or get a certain book deal or certain accolade or make a certain amount of money is because they think by doing so that they're going to feel better about themselves. Could we agree on that? Right? It's like if I just have, be, or do this thing, I'll feel better about myself. But I think the trick is that if my observation for myself is that if we as human beings, this is through my own lens, if we keep attaching our happiness and sense of self-worth and self-validation on all of these ever-fluctuating external measurements, right? Because the reality with these, weight goes up and down. We age, our body changes, our appearance changes. The number of followers goes up and down. I mean, mine is doing this weird glitchy thing on Instagram right now where it's like, I logged in this morning and it was like 48,000, 48.8. And then I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I look on my girlfriend Laura's phone and it says 36.1. It's like, it's just, well, which one is it? You know, they go up, they go down. Same thing with markets and money. You invest something, you make it big. You invest in another business, you lose your ass. I mean, it's, so I guess the point from a spiritual sense of self-awareness and being self-actualized is if we are constantly attaching ourselves to weight, looks, status, money, social capital, how other people perceive us, we will be constantly enslaved and beholden to those external measurements of trying to define who we are and what our value is on the planet. And it's dangerous though, Whitney. It's dangerous because we see so much of the world operating in these mechanisms. You talk about Clubhouse, right? And it's like people are obsessed with their hierarchy in society. They're obsessed with their vanity metrics. They're obsessed with how other people perceive them. Because And why wouldn't they be? Because if someone perceives you as a successful influential person that can get them the results that they want so they can feel better about themselves, well, then they're going to hire you and they're going to join your mastermind and they're going to buy your book and they're going to do coaching with you because they perceive that based on their perception of you and the social capital and image and perception that you wield in the world will get them what they want. And then other people make millions of dollars doing that because to your point, it's not about the results. It's about if one in 20 people do get the actual results they promised, they take that person, they do a testimonial video, they bring them on to their, their workshops and they say, look at Judy. Judy made a million dollars in 30 days with my system. Even though 25 other people didn't do it, that one person out of 20 or 25 did. And we're going to highlight that person for the promise that you too might be able to do this. It's not that they're guaranteeing anything. It's the hope. It's the idea that you too could be like them. And people make millions or billions of dollars on this. It's not about results. It's about the possibility and the perception that you might be able to do that too. I'm not saying it's an awful thing, but I think that we need to be super mindful of what we're chasing in life. We really do. And I think one of the things that I feel depressed about a lot, Whitney, is I'm really trying to, as best as I can, break myself of the addiction to these things. I'm really, really trying to break the addiction of these things. 
because I realized that for so long, I have been addicted to praise, validation, external factors defining my self-worth and my status in the world. And then when we see so many people in our business and in our industry and the world in general operating on these arbitrary external metrics of a social hierarchy, it can feel fucking depressing when you want to wean yourself. It's like it's being a junkie, basically. I'm just going to be honest. It's psychologically and energetically being a fucking junkie who's attached to these metrics and these external validations. And then you're like, well, it must be normal. And you know what? If everyone else is a junkie and they're successful, then that's okay too. But I don't want to be a junkie to that shit anymore. I don't. And it's, it's a really difficult, painful, depressing process to try and psychologically wean myself from the things we're talking about wit because you see an entire world of people being addicted to this shit. And it must be normal because everyone's addicted to it and everyone's beholden and enslaved to all this shit. So it must be okay. But something deep in my soul says it, it's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay to constantly be placing our sense of self and self-worth in the hands of all this external stuff that's arbitrary and ever-changing. There's something about it that deep in my soul, something doesn't sit right about it. But then you feel insane because you see the whole world operating in this paradigm. And then you're sitting outside of it going, no, wait, this is fucking crazy. And I don't want to be enslaved to this anymore. But it's so easy to get sucked back in. It's so easy. So the thing that I'm kind of sitting with is how do we, <laughs> I don't know, how do we operate in business and social media and the financial market and the world that puts so much emphasis on all of these external markers of value and success and notoriety and fame when you're a person who, as you go through life, feels increasingly disinterested with those metrics, but yet you feel to run a business and to operate in the world and have social capital and influence, you have to play like, I don't, I'm struggling with how to play the game, but not be attached to the bullshit and the rules and the results of the game. I still don't know how to do that, Whitney. It's like the Su old Sufi saying how to be in the world, but not of it. Like I'm a human being who exists in society, who acknowledges that there are arbitrary metrics used to acknowledge a person's value and worth in the world. But how can I play the game, but not be attached to those metrics and not give a shit about what they mean? That's the point I'm still struggling with, you know, to be in the game and still play it, but not care about the results. It's tough. Well, it's interesting because I think that you, Jason, are in a position to easily do that because so many people take you seriously and admire you, look up to you, that you have the advantage of saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Just like, you know, the whole conversation we had with Corbett Barr and, and I see Paul Jarvis. It's like when I see those two completely pausing or stepping away, erasing, changing, like when they do that stuff, I'm like, great. Like, I'm really excited to see them doing that. And I trust them in doing that because They've done a lot before that. They've experimented a lot. They've been in the world and they realize that a lot of it isn't for them. And I think you are in a very similar position. And I find myself in that as well. Like, you know, I had a, one of my clients the other day when he brought up that he wanted certain metrics. I just flat out said, you don't need them. And I remember in that moment thinking, oh my gosh, is he going to want to work with me anymore? Because I'm telling him something that most people wouldn't normally say because so many people are obsessed with numbers. But I think actually it helped him re respect me even more. And I feel confident about that because I've been in this, this quote game long enough. I can tell you straight out, like, yeah, numbers matter a little bit, but not nearly as much as we think they do. They are so fleeting. And 
I think that they just like we're seeing with the stock market, you know, there's a whole movement right now on TikTok called Eat the Rich. And the big thing that is happening now after the whole stock market issue is people started having public dialogues about like, wow, like we have a lot of power. What if we start eating the rich by unfollowing them on social media so they don't have as much power? And that's a movement that's building. I'm curious to see where it's going to go, but my instinct says like it is going to make some impact. I've seen people try to do this a little bit before and it didn't really go anywhere. So it depends how long and committed people are. But it's true. If all of us made a conscious decision to unfollow people because we're not getting value off of them, like they start to lose their value. And then that reveals how superficial the whole system has been. Right. And I think that as individuals, we had the power to do things like that. But it's also within that power, we're recognizing and admitting that those numbers really don't mean nearly as much. They don't mean as much as we think that they do. And people just are looking for a signal that you have value. And I think for you and me, like many people in our positions, Jason, we've become accustomed to signaling our value through our numbers, but that we are so much more than that. And if we can start signaling in a different way. That's why I rarely talk about this and I avoid it as much as possible. I don't talk about my numbers. You know, like I was so tempted to put some of them in my Clubhouse bio because that's like the big thing that people are doing in Clubhouse. It's like, hey, I know I'm new to Clubhouse, but I've been on this platform for this long and I have X amount of followers and views and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, who the fuck cares? Like, I really don't care. When I see that in someone's bio, I'm like actually a little bit turned off because I feel like they're trying to show me their value. No. If you are a valuable person, go on to Clubhouse and share something that inspires me, changed my life, add value. That's all I care about. You know, go talk on stage, go write a really good paper, go record a great podcast episode. Like, show me your value through your words and your actions. Not, I don't need to see you doing something really popular in social media to get attention. And like I said at the very beginning, People, and as you've talked about many times, Jason, like plenty of people buy their numbers. So it's like, don't impress me at all. And like, then even on Clubhouse, like people have big numbers on there, but there are rooms where you can just go sit in a room and get followers by saying nothing. There's so much that goes into numbers that isn't fully based on your value as a person. And I think that we need to attach so much less importance to that. And I believe that there will be a big trend and movement of that happening because at a certain point, it's all going to even out, just like Andy Warhol said, right, about having everybody having their 15 minutes of fame. Like We're basically at that point already with platforms like TikTok because anybody could get on TikTok and be famous. And we are so conditioned to think that that is a big deal. But if everybody has it, it's no longer a big deal anymore. So what's next? And who knows? What's next could be that we start valuing people for their deeper value or that we start getting even more superficial. I don't know. But to your point, Jason, and I'm mainly saying that I I think you already know this deep down, but I'm mainly saying this for anyone else listening who needs this reminder. It's like, at the end of the day, we're not going to look back on our lives and be like, I'm really glad that I got a million Instagram followers. But we have no way of knowing that somebody feels that way because they've passed away. Like They can't come back and tell us like, hey, by the way, your numbers don't really matter that much. And I wouldn't be surprised if Instagram dissolves relatively soon. It feels like it's going in that direction. So then what? (laughs) I was thinking about this other. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
Like, what's going to happen when or if Instagram completely goes by the wayside? Like, so many businesses are based on it. But look at what's happening to us right now during COVID. I was thinking about this yesterday. Like, all these businesses that have based their entire livelihoods on things that people aren't doing right now. The number of of places that you drive by that have shut down temporarily or short term because the world is different. Nothing is constant. So for us to like base our entire value as human beings on things that are constantly changing is so bad for our mental health. And I have a feeling, Jason, that you're just being brought to that awareness that a lot of other people are going to be in. So my thought for you is that you should speak about this as frequently as you possibly can, because in a way, you're a warning to everybody else who's building themselves up just to get to the same place you are. You know, just like you have been inspired by people like Jim Carrey. It's like, I mean, you and I grew up with him thinking he was the greatest star in the world. Now look, like what is, I mean, I I think Jim Carrey is an amazing human being, but I couldn't even tell you what's the last thing he's done, like his Showtime TV show that I didn't really watch. And like, I don't think he cares anymore. He's just kind of going about his life. He's not the biggest star in the world anymore. Like that, it just, people go through those phases. And I bet you that he would say like, what did it even really matter aside from him expressing himself as an artist? But that seems to be the experience that most people have is it's like we spend way too much time focused on on superficial things only to be brought down by them into dark depressions. And it's up to us to build ourselves up in different ways and find different meaning, which I think is what you're experiencing. And that's a great opportunity for you to guide people through this process that's going to be inevitable for them too. Instead of, you know, the work that we used to do years ago, which is like, how can we help people grow their businesses and all that? And then you and I realized like that just wasn't wasn't right. I mean, honestly, what I would like to do is to encourage more people to be less concerned about the numbers. I would love that to be more of my value. I think that's a bigger value than trying to help people build up their online following. It's like, what if we just stopped worrying so much about this numbers shit? Like, it's it's not good for us. I think it brings up the idea of how to do that, Whitney. You posited something really wonderful. And I think it's definitely given me something to chomp on of how to assist other people to see what's real and what is their own sense of self-worth beyond these arbitrary, constantly changing measurements. And maybe my struggle and my depression and my breaking of this addiction as I feel like I'm in right now, to your point, is going to hopefully help serve other people. And maybe that's something we do moving forward with Wellevator is helping people you know, break these addictions. Because to me, I think for a person's peace of mind, their sense of self-worth, their mental health, I really think this is crucial. I think once people realize that they're addicted to arbitrary metrics and they're addicted to how other people perceive them based on these things and they realize they don't want to be anymore, then it's the question of how do we break that addiction and replace it with healthier metrics for how we value and love ourselves. So putting that out there to you, dear listener, if you're interested in that, if that piques something in you, as Whitney and I say on the podcast, we always love to hear directly from you if this topic resonates and you feel like you're caught in a cycle of addiction to these things. We always just love getting your personal messages. So you can always shoot us a direct email our email address is hello at wellevator.com. And that's also our website where you can find the transcript for this episode and all of our show notes, including all of our previous episodes and the freebies we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, which is wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you can always shoot us a DM. We hear from a lot of you listeners on our Instagram feed. 
And if you happen to be on Clubhouse, we also have something we're doing on Wednesdays from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. It's called Dolphin Tank with our new friend, Greg Fleischman, where we are having a pitch style room with people involved in the natural products industry. If you're an influencer, a content creator, a buyer, an entrepreneur, an investor, anyone who's involved in natural products, organic, vegan, non-GMO, that is uh, the room to be in. Again, you can find that link also in our show notes for this episode. If you are on Clubhouse or are about to get on and want to join the Dolphin Tank, you can find us there on Wednesdays again from 4 to 6 p.m. So with that, we appreciate you being with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for bearing witness to these deep dives of the soul that Whitney and I embark on here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. Until next time, we love you. We appreciate your listenership. And we'll see you again soon with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 